0: lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies for my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try it at home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You Ready? Hey all, today we are talking about exercise and how that relates to emotional regulation. So I think about how much the world has changed even since I was born and even since I was in my childhood, I mean, 30 years old uh, and you 10, 20 years ago, the world was so different. I I remember as a child, and maybe this is partially because I grew up in a more rural area, but I played outside all day long. People never checked in on me. People never knew where I was. I was taking off on four wheelers and mini bikes and all kinds of things that were quote unquote dangerous. And no one really seemed to care where I was, but I will say I was cared for um, and said a lot of freedom, but there was a lot of growth that came from that. But now today it's a rarity to see kids outside running around with other kids in the neighborhood or after school or independently gone for hours of the day. In fact, I can't remember who is Ellen Sansetter? some Someone, I think, I think it's Ellen Sansetter. I could have that totally botched, but did this study, maybe even wrote a book on this about like all the five or six things that kids need to experience before or, or to become like a resilient child. And I can't remember what all of them were, but some of them were like, like playing with fire, like learning how to play with fire and getting lost and like getting hurt or injured, or maybe it was even as far as like break a bone. I don't remember, but there were so many water dealing with water and like learning to navigate water. I mean, think of all the things that like people have extreme heights, extreme fears of, and being introduced to those things when you're a young child so that you're not fearful hold them as an adult. And when you are exposed to them that they you, as an adult, you already have the background from your childhood. So give that a search. <laughs> Maybe go put that in the show notes. Who knows? Uh, but it's, it's so much has changed. We we are on technology, we're on tablets, we're on devices, we're on games so, so, so much more frequently. And I had some of those things in China. I remember the Sega Genesis and the original Nintendo, and there's the N64, and then we finally upgraded to the PlayStation, but I never had much interest in video games. I was more interested in being outside. I'm still today a nature lover. Think about how all of this time on tech, all all the sensory overload, the sensory integration is too much. Like the colors, the, the sounds, the movement, the fast moving from one to the next, the blue light what it's doing to our mental bandwidth and our eyesight and even our bodies, because our bodies aren't moving. We're sitting still too much. I mean, kudos to those that created games that do get us moving more, but as amazing as these things are, they do have their downfalls too. And we're noticing that kids' attention spans, kids' focus, kids' impulsivity, kids' mental capacity is being drained very quickly. And I think a lot of that can be attributed to the activity or time spent on devices. So it is our jobs as parents, as educators, to help our kiddos regain their sense of control and their sense of mental capacity by putting boundaries and and regulations and expectations and also like teaching them the science behind this and why it's important to take time off of tech and what we can do because they are growing up in a technological society where things were created, where neuroscientists are working for the social in the medias to keep us uh, entertained, to keep us hooked, to keep us addicted. And if we don't break that addiction chain at a young age and explain the importance of this and help them learn some self-control, it's going to be a lot worse as an adult because they'll be wired that way. And we definitely, definitely do not want that. So I say all of this because I think it's so important that we make time for movement and it is a part of our daily routine so it's preventative but then we can also use movement as a reactive technique when uh, feelings and emotions are heightened but the biggest thing here is I, I think this needs to be part of everyone's everyday routine it doesn't need to be 20 30 minutes it doesn't need to be a sport. It doesn't need to be a class it's just movement and the reason for this being because it's going to help kids develop techniques for stress reduction. They'll be able to relax. They'll be able to better focus. So, man, so much to talk about here too. It's, It's just the impact, the scientific impact of movement on the body emotional regulation. Like it's got a huge impact. So what are some different easy ways to integrate movement or exercises to help kids regulate? Hey, all, I just wanted to pause here for a second and share a really awesome resource. Friends of mine, that run the Raising Adults podcast and their work is grounded in this future-focused parenting philosophy, which really you just need to know is starting with the end in mind. And you know that our philosophy aligns to that as well. So the hosts, Kira and Diana, are both parents, coaches, dualist moms with backgrounds in education, mental health, childbirth, and child development. So all the areas. They are all about helping families find the why behind the how, and helping them parent with a strong intention, as well as being proactive instead of reactive to prevent those issues and uh, be more preventative instead of diagnostic, which aligns with our work so nicely. Understanding your why helps you to do what is best instead of what is quick and easy, and we know that quick and easy isn't sustainable. We talk about that all the time. We talk about a large range of topics, and they come at each of those topics from a long-range view, which I love, and their parents. So they like us keep episodes really short, usually about 30 minutes. And know this, that they open every episode with a personal why, which I love, to demonstrate bringing intention to these specific parenting issues. And then they dive into the what and how of each topic, moving into those actionable tools and strategies that listeners can start using right away. Same similar structure that we use because we want to give you the information why it's important and then how to use it and, and make sure that it's applicable and actionable immediately. So all their ideas are customizable because they are all about finding your individual why, uh, which is unique to every single family. So in addition to all of that, of course, there are laughs because they are very dynamic hosts and it feels like you are sitting down having a conversation with them. So again, raising adults, future focused parenting, is the Groundbreaking Parenting Podcast, and it starts with the end in mind. So great way to transform your parenting journey and stop raising kids, start raising adults, which is such perfect alignment with our communication episodes, because you know we talk about communicating with children like we communicate with adults. So you can find Raising Adults on all major podcast platforms. Uh, They're also on Facebook and Instagram at Future Focused Parenting or Future Focused parenting.com. Check them out, listen to their work and let me know what you think. I'm going to start with my favorite one first inversion upside down. Think about like how many kids hang on monkey bars upside down anymore. I feel like I never see kids. Parents Like when I was teaching parents, didn't even want their kids on the monkey bars, let alone hanging upside down, but you've got those like circus rings too. Kids can hang upside down. Uh, Even if there's like a pull-up bar, uh, and if they're uncomfortable with that, like you could just hang their head over, they could hang their head over a couch. Uh, They could do downward dog pose. Any of those things are still considered inversions. Just a fancy name for... (laughs) the act of bringing your head below your heart level, which is good to do from time to time. What else is good? Hanging with your hands above your head. It stretches out your spine and your back. And we're always hunched over at a computer and sitting in this 90, 90, 90 degree position. So hang, find something to hang on. even If it's a tree limb or again get a pull-up bar, whatever it is. Bending over, touching your toes. That's also inversion. There are headstands, handstands with support because safety first. Uh, but all kinds of different ways you could even do like sit on your back, put your feet up against the wall. Those are all ways for uh, us to get inversion. Want to know the science behind this? It's our lovely little friend, serotonin, a neurotransmitter known for releasing these calming chemicals into the body. I think, ah, oh, that's the feeling we get when we invert ourselves and the autonomic nervous system. I know I'm getting sciencey here. Really loves that. So give it a shot. Also listening to dancing, to singing, to music. It's a form of movement. It's really great. It's really good to reset the system. It's great to get your body loose and the wiggles out. Uh, also fun fact is that 80 beats per minute. That's what our bodies regulate to cause that's some maternal resting heart rate. So if you find music, that's 60 to 80 beats per minute or lower, it's going to bring your energy down. We like that, singing also st- stimulates uh, the vagus nerve, which is related to the nervous system. And when you stimulate that, that's a good thing, calms it down. So, humming, singing, we, we want more of that. If you're not a good singer, who cares? Build it out or just hum. You can do coloring or painting. You can do like, you know, a big easel where they move their whole body. You can do it on the ground where they have to move their body around the ground to, to do that or to, to paint. Uh, you could even do like throwing balloons with paint in them, whatever it may be. It's just those big body movements. So you can do painting in a chair as well, but we're talking about like big painting, big, all kinds of big body movements jumping exercises, all kinds of these trampoline pillows, couches, beds. Some of those things may not be appropriate to jump on depending on your household, but there are options for some others, Uh, just jumping up and down jumping jacks, jump rope. Oh my gosh. A pogo stick. You can even do like, there are all kinds of alphabet exercises online. You can search like alphabet exercises and there's an exercise for every letter of the alphabet. There's like jumping for every letter of the alphabet, all kinds of things to, to do for jumping resistance work, pushing, pulling, lifting, carrying anything of an appropriate weight for the child's body is helpful for regulation, hiking it out get them outside of nature, dual benefits, hiking, nature, scenery can calm the nervous system as well as the movement. And you have to kind of be coordinated because you're maneuvering all these different obstacles on the ground that you can't always see. Speaking of obstacles, you could create an obstacle course. That gets big body movements as you crawl through cones and tunnels and go down slides and lift things, carry things. And, you know, you could do props or no props. You could make one out of chalk. You could do one in the garden. You could do a bike one. Speaking of biking, change scenery, have a walk, take a bike, make time to go around the neighborhood. And what else? The last one, let's talk about, Ooh, all that movement is going to need hydration. So making sure that kids are getting half their body weight of water in ounces a day. Movement paired with hydration. All right. That takes us to today's listener question, which is how... Do we deal with severe separation anxiety? I would say with this, break it down into micro steps. If a child has separation anxiety, it means that they have a relationship and attachment need. So they need those bonds. So reassure them, create a sequence, a one, two, three sequence. Here's what we do. Here's what we do when we get there. Here's what it's going to feel like. Here's what you do when it feels like that. Uh, But you can break it down into tiny little micro steps. They're more likely to know what's coming. They, w- they will know what's coming and they're more likely to respond well to that. Um, but also if it's a young kid, sometimes taking a stuffed animal blanket, a picture of the person that they're feeling separation anxiety from can be helpful. And just the self-talk, teach them some mantras, some self-talk, some phrases they can say to themselves to uh, work on that, that separation anxiety and to get their brain wired and prepped for the separation. All right. To wrap up the show, we're going to talk about our try to home tip, which is organizing. If your brain is disorganized or a child's brain is disorganized and they're having a breakdown or a tantrum or whatever it may be, doing an organizing activity can actually reset their brain. So it could be cleaning. It could be sorting. It could be matching. It could be a puzzle. Any of those organizing activities, they work for adults too. That's why some of us really love to clean and organize when we're stressed out. Scientifically, it helps our brain to get back into an organized state. We take something that is disorganized and put it into an organized manner. So any type of organizing activity. All right, that's it for today's episode of Returning to Us podcast. Remember today's try to help tip, organizing activity. And if you'd like me to answer a question on a future show, you can email me at podcast at behaviorhub.com or send a text to 717-693-7744 and lock in what you learned today by applying it right away. Easy way to do this, leave a comment or review below and let us know what your biggest takeaway was. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer. Thank you for joining me.